Welcome to the Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. My name is Tan Pham. I'm the founder and CEO of Asian Efficiency, and I'm taking over from Mike today. And I have a very special guest, my friend Ben. Ben runs a very successful artificial intelligence company that has Fortune 100 clients. He has big corporations hire him from all over the world. He's someone I've gotten to know over the last year when I got introduced to him via a mutual friend in Los Angeles. Ben is based in Germany, but he's rarely home because he spends more time traveling all over the world in first class while he's running a very successful business. I travel a lot too, and I always find it very challenging to be productive and run a business at the same time. So I thought I asked Ben for advice and figure out how he does it. You'll learn about how to pack light, which airlines are the best, which apps, tools, and travel gadgets we recommend, and how to stay productive while you're traveling across time zones. I want to preface this episode by saying that Ben never ever does interviews or make appearances in the media. He likes to stay anonymous and stay behind the scenes. It actually took me a lot of convincing at the last minute to get him to agree to do this episode. So the audio setup and quality wasn't ideal, but I wanted to share this with you guys nonetheless because the content is very good. You can find links to everything that we discuss in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 193. And now on with the show. Hey there, welcome to the Productivity Show. My name is Tian, and with me today I have a very special guest. Uh, it's a very good, good friend of mine, Ben, and uh, he's a guy who I recently got introduced to through a mutual friend in Los Angeles when I was there uh, maybe like a year ago. So we were having dinner, and it was actually dinner uh, at a night when it was his birthday. So it was a very special dinner that night. And uh, over the last couple of months, I got to spend more time with him. And one of the interesting things about Ben is that he spends pretty much half of his life right now on the plane. This guy travels all over the world. And he actually came to visit me here in Austin before he's flying back home to Germany, where he's from. And I thought it'd be really cool to share some stories and get some insights from him because he travels all over the world for meetings, uh, for his business, and he spends so much time traveling. And I know a lot of Productivity Show listeners love to travel and uh, either have to travel for work or do it for pleasure. So I thought I would invite him to the show and share some of the intricacies of frequent travel, luxury travel, um, and living the lifestyle of somebody who is just traveling all the time. So if you're somebody who's interested in that, then this show is definitely going to be for you. And uh, one of the things I've always been experimenting with over the last couple of shows is to start off with a couple tips that you can take action on right away. So Ben, do you want to share your three tips with the listeners today? Hey, sure. Tip number one is definitely use Google Flights as a search engine because it's the most diverse, easiest to use, and most flexible to get the heads up on what you're looking for, where the best airport is to fly in and out from, and um, also just the fastest way to find a new find a new route. And also helps you ex with the explore option. Also, it helps you to figure out what exactly it is that you should be getting at and what the typical price range is. And then you can go into different search engines like Kayak and other things that help you find a little bit better pricing. And you can play around with that later. And what is your second tip? My second tip would be using a specialized bag for your laptop or tablet. 
that is easy to use, fits on your briefcase or fits on your uh, carry-on luggage. So it's easy to put it in and out when you're flying. Um, and also you can use it as a carry-on just just like that. And I prefer the Book Super Slim because it's kind of a, it's like the, it's actually what it says. It's the most slimmest thing I've found that actually works, as, um, is usable and has the coolest features ever. Like it fits directly on your, uh, on your carry-on. Plus it also has a clip-on for your, um, for your keys. And it fits the MacBook right perfectly, um, as well as has the. It was. It has also has a, a slim one. Uh, so it fits the iPhone as well. Plus, it has like a screen wiper integrated, so you can basically wipe your screen, which is also pretty nice. And it fits um, two power banks quite perfectly too. So that will be the second tip. And then the third tip. Oh, well, the third tip is the most important one. Is actually a screen protector. Um, everybody should have a no a privacy screen, right? So the third tip would be a privacy screen that fits your laptop perfectly. They can slide in and out. And I use the 3M um, privacy screens um, because they happen to be the actually the only ones that really work. And um, I've been using and scouting those at every airport I go to because people tend to be doing important business things like writing emails or writing like important memos or looking at stuff that nobody ever should see on the non-protected screens. And I've been basically trying to sell those to people <laughs> over time by figuring out what they actually do and where they work. Um, everybody should get a privacy screen, no matter if they're doing business or pleasure, because nobody needs to read your private messages or your work stuff while traveling. And you never know who's going to sit next to you, if it's like your hardest opponent or like your, your fiercest enemy company. <laughs> so we're going to have links to all the products in the show notes. So don't worry if you're missing out we're going to have links in the show notes. And uh, if you haven't subscribed yet to our show notes, you can go to theproductivityshow.com and actually get all of our show notes in your email inbox anytime we release a new episode. So Ben, our guest of today, is somebody who doesn't really like to talk about himself, but I'm going to try to describe what he does. Uh, so he runs a very successful big company that does a lot of uh, things in the artificial intelligence space and data processing. So I Ben, can you maybe describe to people what your business is and what you do? Yeah, so we do, <clears throat> what we do is basically called large-scale data processing. Um, what that means is that if you have a huge amount of data set that is basically like 500 billion plus or more, then we would be guys to help you. And we especially applied that to, to, in, to the entertainment industry and helping them figure out what content to buy, to sell, what the consumer wants for recommendations and build customized tools that help them make the most of of the data out there, basically. We also build video recognition technology on demand um, with artificial intelligence, but also reverse image search for highly altered images. So we basically are bored every single time we develop something. And after we're finished, we try to do something different that's exciting and fun and to build onto what we already have. Basically, that originally was uh, helping entertainment industry, but now it's more like also basically exploring brands and basically basically every company that needs large-scale data processing and has, has huge amounts of data sitting in their back end but really doesn't know what to do with it and how to handle and make use of it efficiently. So that basically would be what we are very good at and also um, where we come from. Yeah, so as you can hear from his accent, he comes from Germany and he's very proud of driving his German cars and whenever he travels, <laughs> driving German cars whenever he can. And to kind of simplify, you know, he works with Fortune 500 companies that have lots of data and they don't know how to utilize that data to make smarter decisions. And then that's where Ben comes in and his company and his amazing team 
And that's where they build custom solutions, use AI technology to kind of help people and companies make better decisions when it comes to growing their industry and businesses. And and if I had to explain that to my brother, I think that's how he, he would get it. So what's interesting about Ben is because he lives in Germany and he has clients in Los Angeles, New York, China, like pretty much every single country in the world. He works with all these Fortune 500 companies all over the place. So he spends half of his time right now pretty much on the plane. And that's why I thought it would be so interesting to kind of hear his perspective on efficient travel because you know everything we talk about on the show and at AE is about being efficient and effective. And Ben has a very unique story and lifestyle where he spends a lot of time traveling whether that is to, you know, within Europe, uh, different parts of Asia. Like Ben, you spend maybe like a quarter of your life right now in the States. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I guess that's fair to say. It's it's not half of the year, but it's almost like a quarter is probably fair to say because the other time I spent mostly in Europe or China or Asia, or basically anywhere. So I'm really curious and we're going to dive in there and kind of dive into the stuff that you do when it comes to traveling efficiently and effectively. Because uh, I spend a lot of time on the plane as well for stuff. Um, whether that's you know personal stuff, leisure, vacation, or business, so I'm kind of interested to talk to you about you know how you do things and how I do things and how we can learn from each other and just hang out and you know share some fun stories as well. So since you spend so much time on a plane, um, let's say you need to fly to Los Angeles. You know you have a meeting coming up. Describe to me what you do as soon as you know you have to go to this meeting in Los Angeles and you're in Germany right now. Hmm, good question. So <laughs> let me think. So the first thing I would do is basically check out Google Flights and see, all right, what is the, so it depends on when the meeting actually is going to be. So hopefully, usually I plan stuff out in advance. So I usually try to spend, basically try to figure out a schedule of staying every third month or so. So I already know in advance that I probably have to be back and I can be efficient with my travel, which is very important to me because I hate sitting in lines and basically hanging out where things are crowded and crazy. So I try to make it as efficient as possible. So usually I use Google Google Flights to figure out what is a reasonable price range and, and usually a reasonable time range to fly from anywhere in Europe to Los Angeles. Because I typically don't necessarily fly from Frankfurt all the time. I would also fly instead from Luxembourg, which sometimes is pretty cheap to fly to Los Angeles, but you, I, I can also use um, basically everything. Like I can use Dublin, I can use Finland, I can use Norway. And Norway is usually a pretty good airport to fly out of. So Oslo is typically a pretty inexpensive, a pretty inexpensive airport hub uh, when it comes to flying to to anywhere in the US. So I typically do not spend more than like two thousand two hundred on a flight. But um, usually I can get it for like 1500 So it's um, business return from anywhere in Europe and then fly back to Germany. Um, so that's usually my, <clears throat> that's usually my go-to. So, I have my, so basically I have like a setup of cities I check out in advance. And also I fly, I also try to fly on a weekend. So mostly on Saturday, because when you fly on Fridays, people try to get home. And if you fly on Sundays, people have to fly out for work. But on Saturday, it's only if you basically only a few vacation travelers and usually airports is empty. And if you fly on Monday, everything is crazy. And if you fly during the week, it's just a little bit more on traveling people than, than it is on Saturday, I realized. So I tried to, so over the time I figured out that flying on Saturday is actually a huge advantage. So if I have a meeting on, 
uh, Monday I will not I will usually fly out on Saturday Saturday every single time um, so that's usually my my go-to for the flying end so what's interesting there is you live near Frankfurt you live in a small town mm-hmm. just outside of Frankfurt yep and you're willing to fly from anywhere in Europe to get to Los Angeles in the most cost-effective way right yep. one of the most interesting things that I think you have going on is that because you can afford to fly business or first for your trips, you essentially are willing to fly from different parts of Europe to be able to affordably go to Los Angeles in a round trip business. And you're willing to spend extra hours to say, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to fly from Frankfurt to Dublin or to some other city first before I fly to Los Angeles. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. It also... So the, so the benefit of that is actually also that I can check out different cities over time and cities I would not have gone to. So maybe I wouldn't have never flown to, to Dublin on a Friday, but since flying from Germany to, to Dublin is usually like less than 100 euros, like 80 or something, because usually I fly, so when I fly to that destination in Europe, I usually fly economy because it really doesn't matter too much for an hour flight. So you can basically spend $80 and a little bit of hotel to enjoy a city for the evening or even fly in the noon or something or even in the morning to, to enjoy the city for the day and then fly well-rested from the direct airport hotel to Los Angeles or anywhere basically where I need to be, which actually is for me is a little bit more convenient and also a little bit more chill because if I have to fly out of Frankfurt, what I usually have to do is like I have to get up early, I have to take the the car or the train that that's that's late every single time. So I have to take the car to the airport, park, and then fly out in a rush, basically. And if something happens, I'm I'm kind of screwed. But if I fly to Europe first and the flight is canceled or something significant happens, I can always get another flight to that destination, right? There's no significant downside to to flying to let's say Norway first, because Norway first of all is pretty is pretty nice. And the airport is pretty convenient too. And I can wake up well rested and just and just get going. And also the savings are, are tremendous. Like if I spend 1500 on a flight from Norway to the US, I might spend 3500 for the same flight out of Frankfurt because Frankfurt is just in general a pretty expensive city like it's London. Uh, that's interesting because my, my take on it always has been if like I'm here in Austin and you're here in Austin with me right now and let's say I need to fly to Frankfurt, my typical approach would be to, okay, Let's see if we can find something from Austin first, right? But Austin is a small city and doesn't have direct international flights. So usually from Austin to anywhere international, I would have to go to either Dallas or Houston first and then f- and then fly out. So that would always be my preference to say, okay, I'm going to go there first, whether that's flying there or driving there even, and then go to Frankfurt. But what you're saying is if you were in my situation, you would go from Austin, let's say to... I don't know, San Francisco or something, and then from San Francisco to go to Frankfurt. Probably. I mean, with the U.S. being so big, it's uh, it's kind of a different... Like in Europe, everything is at least like... It's a maximum of like three hours away, so it doesn't matter that much. But um, I mean, for the U.S., if you fly to New York first and then take a flight out of New York, that may be a bit, a bit much on the time, I guess. But, but it oh, depends. Actually, that's what I did. So when I went to Madrid and when we hung out in Madrid... I actually flew from Austin to New York first, spent there, spent like two days there, and then flew from New York to Madrid. 
And because it was on the way, it was really easy. But I could have also flown from Madrid directly to, or from Austin to directly to Madrid. But it would have been way more expensive too. So it actually worked out for me to say, let's fly from New York to Madrid because it was a lot cheaper. And then I would just buy the extra leg from Austin to Madrid. And I just happened to have some friends there too. So it was kind of like a plus almost. But since you're traveling for business, you would be okay with just flying from, let's say, Austin to New York and then hang out there for a bit, even one night or something, and then fly from there to your destination because the cost savings would be so big. Yeah, that and also it's it's also kind of fun. <laughs> usually if the city is nice and it's not Westchester and Fieldville, Iowa, then usually it's probably going to be a fun, a fun trip anyway. So it's... Yeah, and always, every time I do this, I experience stuff that I've not seen before. Something happens that I did not envision, especially if it's unplanned. So it's usually, yeah, usually it's a nice benefit to spend a night in some place I've not been. Yeah, uh, but Ben, I'm really curious to hear, okay, once you've booked your flights, you know, you use Google Flights, you kind of have an idea how, how are you going to get to your destination? What, what happens next? Like, how do you pack? Like, how do you prepare for your trip? Like, what happens next after you found your flight? Hmm, good question. Um, do you mean immediately before the flight or like two weeks in advance? Let's say two weeks in advance. So two weeks in advance. I mean, I'm very German, so I try to plan ahead. So I would say I plan ahead way before that. <laughs> and I already have my at least somewhat of a hotel booked down because usually the, the hotels tend to go up like a week or two before. So I try to pin down the hotel where I need to stay and where I need to be um, right in advance to to also make it to also get basically get the hotel and room I want in the city and place I want. Um, so I think that probably makes sense. But besides that, oh yeah, usually the car or whatever transportation I need. Oh yeah, and the parking space at the airport because the parking space at the airport, usually in Frankfurt at least, tends to go up about two weeks before the actual flight. So you actually can save a lot of money when you fly in Frankfurt and stay directly at the airport. There's like a early, I don't know, like an early saver or something thing going on so usually every single time i fly to frankfurt i can book a parking spot um, in advance and it costs less than it would cost me to either take a train or it cost me it cost me less than um when i would stay at like a third party parking structure in in the close proximity and it's even better um because um because i don't have the it stuff booked down um what i usually do is um i book the you can book those maximum of like I think three weeks at one time. So when you book the maximum, you still get the cutdown rate. But if you go over that maximum, they would like like the the special rate doesn't actually work. So it's actually booked for like a small vacation uh, or designed for a small vacation. Um, but if you just go the maximum you can get, and then just um, just stay longer, and once you go to the to the um, to the payment thing, um, it will charge you the same rate that you would have paid. Um, that's discounted because they don't really have their IT stuff pit down. So if anybody's flying out of Frankfurt and parks their car, that's actually, I guess that's something that nobody has ever heard about. And right. it works quite well. So one of the things that I hear there is there's a lot of value in being organized because this is something I talk about with my friends all the time. It's like there's a cost to not being organized. So for example, in your situation, once you booked your flights, it's in your advantage to then pay for your parking up front. So you book the hotel sooner than later rather than 
oh, you know, I'm going to wait till the last minute and, you know, I'll find something that like how some people who are just, you know, not organized or they totally forget. And then they end up paying extra money because of that. Yeah, that would that would kill me. I hate that. So it's usually that's why I usually do it beforehand. And also most of the larger sites, like when you check different, like, I don't know, different like ebook or streetwork or whatever you use. Um, usually if you book in advance, there's also lots of rates that you can basically just cancel or change uh, without any penalties. Or if you book directly like through, I don't know, whatever you use, like Hilton, like I use or, I, or like IHG, um, then usually let you cancel the rate like a day in advance or so. So even if something changes, getting this better rate up front really is typically a lot of value. And some rates are even, I don't have to pay until I arrive at the actual hotel. And the same with the car. So if I book the car in advance, it's typically tends to be most of the time a little bit better rate than, um, but it usually with cars is not that much. Um, but anyway, it's still all cancelable so till the same day, essentially. The only thing that's not really, that I'm not really able to cancel is the flight. Right. So you would rather have like the peace of mind knowing you have all of that in place way before than waiting till the last minute and, and then try to figure it out. Yeah. So usually it, I try to book these things also as a backup. So if something better comes up, if I need to change something, I can still do that. But I still have the peace of mind that I booked a great rate at the hotel I wanted to and all the, all the other things fell into place quite perfectly before even like before the trip even starts. So if I have to change something very quickly, I can still do that. It's no There's no harm done in, in having this all booked in advance until... I mean, unless I'm going like on a vacation, I already know that's this specific time frame. I save like 30% because I book a non-refundable rate. But um, typically by now, although hotels compete so much, usually you can find a rate that's still cancelable still like a day before, or, like same day even. What's interesting here I find in the US is um, I don't book cars that often because usually when I land, I just take an Uber or something to get to my destination and then get around <laughs> using Uber. So I'm, I'm kind of living the Uber lifestyle, as I call it, because I spend half of my time on trips in Uber. <laughs> this, is the, this is the Uber life. Yeah, this is the hashtag Uber life. So I, I know from other people and from my own experience as well is that, at least here in the US, that when you book your uh, rental car, a lot of times it's a little bit more expensive, whereas if you do it like the night before, sometimes you can get really good rates. So for example, to put it in numbers context, if I book a rental car in advance, it could be, you know, $35, $40 a day. But if you if I book it the night before, then I could get it for like $10 a day sometimes. You know, the question then is, okay, do I want do I want to run the risk saying, okay, I'm not gonna have a car when I get there? And am I am I willing to pay a little bit more upfront? Or Am I going to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to run that risk and I'm just going to wait till the last 24 hours and then book it because most of the time, you know, it's going to be cheaper. And everybody is different. You know, personally, I like to have everything pre-booked as much as possible. Like when I went to Madrid and we hung out there for a bit, I noticed um, it was my first time going to the, the soccer game, Real Madrid versus Barcelona. And I bought my tickets like way, way, way in advance, like three, four months in advance. And they were really pricey. And when I was there the day off, when I went to the game or even the night before, I checked t- ticket prices again. They were like 30% cheaper, like 40% cheaper. But, you know, I wouldn't run the risk, you know, of possibly missing that game. And my whole trip was about <laughs> going to that game. So I'm, I was willing to pay a premium. So 
I'm curious to hear what has your experience been with like booking flights and cars and hotels and stuff like when it comes to like price fluctuations because I know you're a ninja when it comes to finding cheap deals. I mean, not sure about the ninja part, but first of all, I'm pretty disappointed you went to Madrid for the game and not to see me, but <laughs> but that's a different story. So the so what I've seen is that typically, so for example, for the rental cars, actually, um, there's actually no harm done in um, in booking this in advance because if you like book at Hertz, what I usually do, so I'm Hertz President Circle, that also gives me like all these freaking benefits of like choosing almost any car and being upgraded all the time without spending that much. Um, but Hertz usually also lets you cancel the stuff like the day before, or like even the same day. Like so to put it in context, stuff. the precedence is the highest tier. Yeah, right? yeah that's the highest tier of, of Hertz. But you don't have to rent that much, I guess. So um, you got it by just like renting so many cars. Yeah, exactly. I just got it by renting cars. And um, yeah, that was basically it. And it's um, it's actually quite beneficial in, in because you basically just have to rent a standard car and you can choose anything from President Circle. There's also four star. That's the second highest tier, and like gold member or something. That's like the third, and basically also full size, mid size, and compact. So whenever you book like standard or higher, which is usually kind of cheap, then uh, basically you can pick any car. That's that's almost any car that's on a lot. Plus, you can still cancel the same day. So if it's true that you actually find a better rate the night before, you can still just book that and cancel the the other reservation. I didn't actually know that. I will check that out next time. Mm. And because you have a president circle, you have all these like privileges in that sense to be able to say, okay, I'm going to book this in advance. And if something better comes along, I can cancel that the day before and, and, and go with that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, I'm not sure if that's just because I'm president circle, but um, it definitely helps that that usually hurts lets you cancel in advance or like cancel you right right the same maybe not the same day but the day before so what about hotels then how do you find the rates of hotels fluctuate mm, it's actually funny so for the let, let's circle back on the rental cars really quick beforehand because what i realized is that if you book rental cars for germany and german sites um it seems that germans prefer certain types of cars for example with Hertz, um that's my preferred vendor because it's pretty easy like basically before it's i can just go pick the car and be out and if i rent with any other place i need to fill out paperwork but hertz doesn't require anything from me but my license when i leave the leave the lot so that's why i usually prefer them um but if you but if i use hertz germany some cars in some places might be might be a pretty good price and then i check hertz because i'm in europe i can basically use any european country as a proxy so i can basically go and do hertz finland and that gives me different rates than hurts Spain, gives me different rates that hurts, I don't know, France. So whenever I book a car, I check all these different sites to make sure I actually get the car I want at the price I want. Because sometimes full size in Germany is, let's say, $100 a week. And then if I do it on Spain, it might be $150 or vice versa. It, nothing ever makes sense and there's no pattern to it. But it just makes sense to, to spend the extra 10 minutes to check out the other sites too. Because usually... The browser saves you, saves your travel, um, saves all your travel things anyways. And there's also a great coupon. If you have American Express Platinum, they also have a special coupon that gives you like, I don't know, 20% off the actual rate. Um, so you could also apply that. And usually when you rent for Europe, there's also all the, in the rate, there's usually all the insurance included. So no, no deductible, no nothing. If anything happens, it's basically pretty cool. You can just basically take the car back or change it or do anything without ever ever having to worry about, oh no, I had an accident. 
or somebody ran into me or something like that. Yeah, I have American Express Platinum and I believe the benefit that comes with that is you automatically get gold, which is like you said, the third tier. Yeah. And there's like a special coupon code, I believe for American Express users where you can get that discount. And I don't know on top of my head what that would be. Well, and I'll try to find it, put it in the show notes if I can. But um, do you know what the coolest car was that you ever rented or was possible for you to rent since you have president circle that that's actually cool so i got a um i got the most american car ever like the last or the last time i went not the last time like the like a few months ago the coolest car i ever got was like a red corvette stingray for a reasonable like for the same price i got a full-size car in la and it was like this car is amazing and then i had to put bags in it and it was a little bit less amazing but it made it up for the for the for the yeah, with, with pure power in that car. It was like totally crazy. The most American thing I ever drove. Yeah, so basically I guess that was um, that was one of the benefits um, that they just gave me this crazy car. So describe to me what some of the, I guess, like privileges are f- from President Circle because I, I don't have it, so I have no idea. But like, do you get red carpet treatment or do you just like save a lot of money or do they treat you extra nice? Like... Describe to me and to the listeners, like, what is really the big benefit of President Circle? Yeah, I'm sorry to, to burst your bubble, but the, the only benefit really is... So first of all, Hertz really doesn't care that much, I feel, about their President Circle members. Um, so there's no special treatment and, like, welcome you doing anything, basically, besides the automatic car formation that you get, that you can basically pick any car in the President Circle line and all the other lines that are there as well. So basically, the benefit would be that um, you have the same gold benefit. You get a little bit more points for when, whenever you rent. And the other benefit for me is that, yeah, basically you can pick the cars. That's that's kind of the only thing. Everything else is pretty much hit and miss with Hertz. I mean, at, at like every second or third rental I have of them, I have to basically go back and complain about the rate because when I book something in advance and I give it back, I have to check the receipt every single time because they always screw it up and it's like double or a third more or whatever that might be. And every single time I have to complain and then they, they adjust it. But basically, it's not it's not really like an airline status where they treat you a little bit more nicer. It's more like having the benefit of choosing the cars more easy. Oh, man. Um, and spending a little bit less on that. But I was hoping else. for like champagne and like a red carpet treatment, but <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, dude. No, it's like they totally hate me, I guess, at this point. So it's... um, And they might hate all the other President Circle members too. I mean, in the beginning when I just got it, I was still... Like there's a special line when you get the car formation and they actually um, assign you the car. There's a special like place where they assign the cars for the president's circle. But they always put me in the place where I have to, fa- where I have to walk with all my luggage the, for- the furthest, basically. I have to walk all across the lot every single time, no matter president circle or not. So, so the benefit is really, um, I guess, about the cars and getting a little bit more points for you. Um, there might be different things too but i really can't um i mean with the gold if you're already gold member you don't have that much of benefit because if you're gold member you don't need to sign the paperwork anymore you just basically pick the car and go but it's still it's still pretty it's still more convenient than than renting almost anything else like at alamo you wouldn't need to stand in line every single time and i really don't don't appreciate that i mean alamo now has a actually alamo has no program too where you, but you actually have to print out a physical confirmation and bring that to the booth if you don't have that they won't check your uh, won't check your cell phone so if you go back to the counter yeah but that's basically the benefit of the president circle i guess 
So going back to the hotel stuff, yep. um, I like to say a fancy hotels, like that's kind of like my thing. Yeah, and of course, that's how you look like. <laughs> I like to stay at like nice properties whenever I can. I know you stay at a lot of hotels because you travel all the time and you, you have to sometimes stay somewhere for a long term. So let's say you just, you know, booked your flight to LA you booked your hotel. What is your hotel strategy in general? Do you stay at one place, like one chain? Do you like to use Airbnb, like any insider tips? Like what is your thought process looking like here? I mean, for LA, LA is a little bit different place, I guess, and so is New York. Um, but if I stay like in any town in USA, I usually prefer like kind of a well-known hotel chain because I know what I get and it's kind of consistent. I also get the points and usually get the upgrades and there's breakfast and yada, yada. So I kind of know what I'm going to get for a reasonable rate um, that makes sense for the area because they're always going to be competitive in that uh, in that sense. But for LA, it's kind of a different... For LA, I really like the boutique ones because the large properties typically are filled with tourists. That There's nothing against tourists. It's just that if you have to work there and there's partying and people checking in and running around, running around with kids all the time, it's sometimes a little bit um, bothersome, I guess. So I usually like the smaller, more boutique ones um, in LA, and I usually change them quite frequently too. So once I test something out and I go there again and it's not what it used to be or like different, like the service sometimes tends to be not as what you would expect it to be. All the prices for that time is kind of outrageous because in LA it seems to be that that the price for a single room can change for the same hotel at the same kind of season can change between 200 and 450 dollars a night which is kind of ridiculous i'm not going to pay 450 dollars a night for a hotel that used to be 200 um so i always try to do, try out different properties that are kind of in the area i need to be which is mostly hollywood so i can from hollywood i can go basically to burbank and go to beverly hills you can go to basically anywhere i need to go and um so i also tried west hollywood too it usually depends on what I'm what I'm doing and what the mood is for, but I usually try. My strategy would be to go to the large hotel websites and check out the the essential pricing for what the area currently looks like for that time I have to be there, and then check the the special hotels I'm actually usually I like to stay at, and um, yeah, that typically works out quite well. So usually, I am able to tend to find a rate that's that's like reasonable for the area and the the accommodation I'm going to get and also for the service and which is usually not the large hotel chains because the large hotel chains in LA are pretty much downtown or they are way out there at the beach or something. It's not necessarily going to be in Hollywood unless you want to stay at the lowest but that again is once it's it's again with the issue that there's a lot of tourists there but the boutique hotels are a little bit more I guess private. Right. So it sounds like you're very much like me when you know you have a meeting at a certain place. You want to ideally find a hotel that's very close to that. Like my personal preference is always uh, to be able to walk there if possible. If not, I would like to be at most 10, 15 minutes away by Uber to get there. And if I have to sit more than half an hour in the car, then I'm actually willing to spend more money on the hotel to save time on sitting in traffic because... Nicole, my executive assistant, she just knows like Tan does not like to, <laughs> to sit in traffic. But it's interesting to hear that you going for the boutique ones because I think what you said is so true. When you stay at the big chains, there's a lot more tourists, there's a lot more kids. And when you're there for business, like you, you want to be able to get some work done, focus, or even take meetings. So that's really key. 
So what are some of the sites that you use for finding those rates? So typically I use, so the interesting part is that even if you use like hotels.com or ebookers, which usually has great coupons, like ebookers usually has like a 70% off and hotels always has like this 10% off promotion going on. That is sometimes true, sometimes not so much. <clears throat> so what I usually do is I check the German sites first because which might be difficult for some of your readers. But it, it happens to be that, that Germans are quite cheap in um, finding hotels. So usually the prices for hotels using hotels.de instead of using hotels.com um, can be like quite significant. Like even sometimes like double the price on hotels.com, whereas you use a German site, it's like, it's like kind of half the price. And the same is true for like using a Norwegian site or something. Um, so usually check out those typical sites and then also check out the if i find a hotel i like i always check out the hotel site as well because sometimes they have like sometimes they have like great special going on or like give you like extra breakfast or free valet parking which is which is unfortunately key for la because la every hotel no matter what you book charges you an additional 40 dollars a night for um valet which is um not coming from la sounds a bit ridiculous um and it probably is um, but usually also that rates you can negotiate directly if you get them and just if you pay them in cash they usually reduce it to like ten dollars an hour. Oh, I had no idea you could negotiate the value oh, yeah. rates. It's a kind of I mean not with the hotel directly eventually, but um, there's always somebody in charge of the valet, and once they see you a few times and you don't and you tip them kind of appropriate, then usually they offer you, hey, you're gonna stay here for what two weeks? How about we we cut your valet price in half or something? Oh man, I had no clue. That's gonna save you so much money in the future. Oh yeah, that that definitely gonna that definitely gonna save you money. It's um that saves everybody money. Freaking out, valet parking. Um, that, that I have to say, as a German, you really don't like to give other people your car keys and just let them drive around with your car, <laughs> especially if you can see them doing the burnout at the. Uh, with the with the just gotten like the other customers Bentley and and racing around the street. It's it's like totally. I'm not sure about. So what all. I'm hearing is you don't necessarily have loyalty with, say, Hyatt, Starwood, IHG, or anything. You're just searching for like the best rates. Yeah. So what I've what I've realized, I mean, I do stay, and I stayed quite a bunch, and I still do with Hilton and IHG. Um, but the benefits and perks are kind of limited. I mean, nice. There's sometimes like executive, what they call executive lounge access, and like all the other perks you usually get. But most of the time, it's just like a different a hotel room they redesigned into their executive lounge when there's water in it. So I stayed in this one place in Dallas called Doubletree. And it's literally that. They, they have an executive lounge. And when I got there, it was basically just a redesigned room, totally filthy with like a, a almost broken refrigerator with a bunch of water bottles in it. And that's basically what other people have paid for like more because they're staying at the executive floor. So I'm not necessarily that um, that um, loyal anymore to most of the chains because they usually tell you, oh yeah, you get an upgrade, you do this and that. We, you get an upgrade when you check in and yada, yada. Usually the only thing I actually ever gotten was like a water bottle when I check in, which is nice because I appreciate water bottles. But it doesn't really do the trick because a nice hotel usually does that anyways for free. Or maybe offers you some different perks as well. So for me, the big hotel trains are great when you stay like in in any town, like in somewhere where you don't know and there's not a lot of hotels. Usually the train is a safe bet because you know, all right, the Holiday Inn Express is going to be that kind of level. And it's usually pretty 
like it's in a secure location. It's nice. It's like it has the decent or at least somewhat of a breakfast and everything else. The same with like a Hilton Garden Inn, especially. They're actually pretty nice. I like to stay at Hilton Garden Inns because they could typically at a reasonable price. And also the, I think the Homewood suits or whatever they have, um, they're usually brand new because they just kind of opened up in most places. But besides that, staying in LA in like a city like this, I'm not at all loyal ever. Because if they charge me outrageous prices for that, I'm not going to pay 400 instead of 200 like I did today. Right. That's interesting because my strategy is somewhat similar, although I probably place a little bit more importance on loyalty than, than others. So for example, if I go to a specific city, my primary decision-making process is to say location is the most important thing. Like it doesn't matter what hotel chain there is or hotel there is, like location is the most important. So whether that's a boutique hotel, a chain hotel or whatever, I'd rather stay at a location that's really close to my destination than stay at a chain that I'm loyal to that's a little bit further away, right? So location to me is the first process uh, that I want to go through. Then, you know, if everything else is being equal, then I would pick the chain that I'm most loyal to. In my case, that is Starwood, uh, which is now merging with Marriott and has done so recently. And I think, you know, the main benefit of some of these changes, you know, if you, if, you, if you can get to platinum or some of those high tier status, it's like, you know, there's a small chance that you can be upgraded to certain, you know, nicer rooms. Um, like I'm not doing it for the points, although that is always nice or like anything else. Like for me, it's mostly, okay, if I can stay there, I know usually what I'm getting. And there's certain chains that I like more than others. So for example, I'm not a big Hilton fan. I like Starwood and then Hyatt the most. But when I go to different cities, I don't want to necessarily not stay at a Hilton. I just know that if I'm going to stay at, let's say, a Starwood property, I'm usually familiar with what I'm getting. Like a West End, it's going to be old and classic. You know, it's like that kind of style. A St. Regis is going to be a little bit more upscale. It's it's going to be nice. You know, I'm going to stay at the W. It's going to be more hipster and cool kind of thing. So I know like exactly what I'm getting. And those are, those things are usually the same all over the world. You know, some places are a little nicer than others. Like the W in Taipei, I thought was freaking amazing. It's like one of my favorite hotels. But the W in other cities is like totally <laughs> no bueno. <laughs> so, but you know, that variation is, I, I find very little. But I find it interesting to hear that, and I never thought about it that way because boutique hotels are awesome. Usually when I go to Hong Kong, I actually like to stay at boutique hotels there because they're so cool and like they're a lot more quiet as well. And Hong Kong is like super packed and full of tourists too. So it's like, I never thought about it that way until you mentioned it. Like that's actually a great strategy. Okay, so going to the airlines now, what is your loyalty strategy when it comes to airlines? Do you have loyalty or are you just like a free bird, a free agent, and you just choose whatever is best? Oh yeah, I I gotta admit, I used to be so loyal to US Airways um, once they were still US Airways. And I've actually kind of, so I used to be chairman for like two years in a row or something. And then, which is their highest, or used to be the highest status before they merged with American. And then when they merged with, so my upgrades basically as chairman was like, my rate for upgrades was like 100% every single time. I was greeted on a plane um, every single time. The Everything was pretty nice and consistent. So I knew what I was going to get. Then they merged with American. And as you, because there were also not that many US Airways chairman, because US Airways was kind of a 
not that large of an airline, I guess, compared to the others, um, at least internationally. So it's so now they merged with American and uh, the people that have Executive Platinum, um, it's kind of a lot of people now. So the upgrades that I'm going to get by being a chairman um, or like Executive Platinum now is, um, is kind of limited, at least to some extent. So I actually had had like kind of dry periods, especially during the merger, where I was not upgraded like once. I was upgraded like once every 10th flight because usually when I fly in the US, um, I usually never book business because my upgrade percentage usually has been 100% and now it's like, I mean, now it's not bad anymore, but I'm usually, I kind of dropped the loyalty to American, unfortunately. I, I flew so much with them and they really gotten worse and worse and I really got not, and I'm, I'm actually kind of a, kind of a laid back person for the most part and on the plane as well. So as long as you serve me food and don't curse at me, I'm kind of all right, that's cool, that works. <laughs> um but over time, um American service, especially from Germany, um has been gotten like pretty bad, especially if you consider I mean I usually pay not that much for my flights. At least in the grand scheme of things, I might pay like fifteen hundred or two thousand for the business or first and there might be people sitting next to me that paid like 3,000, 5,000. So in that circumstance, I think, all right, it's still kind of all right for me, but it's the service has been, nah. It's like nothing compared if you like fly China Airlines of even if you fly freaking Delta. So I tried Delta um, because oh, they had Delta great Delta 1 flights. is pretty nice. Yeah, and they had like, exactly. So I was flying to LAX from, from Germany with Delta and I was like, they were actually very nice. They knew my name, like they greeted me. They offered me beverages they didn't spit in my face. They were really kind of, actually kind of, kind of very attentive in everything. And the plane was nice too. The Wi-Fi actually worked, which by the way, at American, like 50% of the time it doesn't. And the same is true with Lufthansa. Um, but if they also, they actually did work. So, um, and then I got back because I hate LAX, at least to fly out of LAX. So when I got back uh, to LAX um, with Delta, I actually got to the check-in and they were like, oh no, you have to go to this different terminal thing, which was Delta One. And it was like, wait what is this and um yes i went there and it was like the most amazing (laughs) it's finally a good terminal in lax because it's kind of a private one that you can fly if you fly internationally with delta which is now called delta one and they actually treat you really nice they they take your stuff and like walk you through and it's like an amazing experience compared to anything that um at least anything that american would offer you which is um which is absolutely freaking nothing and um yeah, so that's basically where I'm at. So I'm not that loyal anymore, so I also fly Lufthansa now, um, which I used to not do, but the service is actually really consistent. The flight attendants are amazing. Um, the service is pretty good. The only downside is flying out of Frankfurt sometimes is that um, the lounges are very crowded because everybody in Frankfurt has like status with Lufthansa, obviously. And um, so everything is usually pretty crowded for that for that sense. But um, But besides that, I'm not, I used to be loyal with American, but not anymore for for the reason of them actually being in decline in any any service offering they could ever uh, think about. Also, like with, when you board with American, everybody boards at the same time it seems, and they have a hundred different zones, and nobody knows when they have to get to. Delta now has like these freaking cool rows where basically there's different rows that say like I don't know zone one, zone two, zone three. It's like next to each other, so you can basically line up at like premium or you can line up at lead you can line up at like zone one two three so this makes stuff way more efficient which i like because i really don't like standing in line and um 
yeah basically that so it's so it makes I, have a, I have a really funny story related to that because have you ever flown southwest here in the u.s no okay so they have a very unique boarding process where when you book your ticket and when you actually get your boarding pass i will say a b c and then like a number usually one through 60 you know so you might get like a 35 or c 31 or whatever right so the, their boarding process is eight people go first from 1 to 30 and then from 31 through 60. And you have to stand in line in the order of your number. So A1 stand at the front and then A60 stand at the back, right? So when they call boarding group A, everybody lines up in the order of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So I fly Southwest quite a bit because they're here in Austin and they fly most uh, locations here in the US directly. So I'm so used to boarding in that order and uh when i was leaving madrid to go to amsterdam i was flying klm directly from uh, from madrid to amsterdam and my boarding pass said something like a 30 30 something and so there were different lines like a you know 1 to 15 and a 15 or 16 through 50 or whatever so i was cutting the line <laughs> thinking that we had to stand in order and people got really upset with me and started giving me weird faces thinking what is this guy doing he's cutting in line and i forgot it was like it wasn't like southwest where you stand in line in order of your number but it's like if it's a through 15 everybody is who's in that sequence just gets in line you know and it's not in that order so i got a lot of weird faces when i did that it was kind of funny yeah i can't imagine that must have been nice for the other people standing. In well, line. one guy was starting started to yell at me, like, "What are you, What are you doing?" Like, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm like, "It's always funny." Like, you know, I dress pretty well, in my own opinion, and you know, people were thinking probably like, "Oh, this guy's like uber privileged." Then blah 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 blah. This <laughs> is like, no, this is what this Look was at this not my Asian guy cutting the line here and then and Yeah, so. I'm like you. I don't have a lot of uh, loyalty when it comes to airlines. I, I've i never had that. For me, the most important thing is getting from A to B in the fastest way possible. So when I book my flights or Nicole books my flights, it doesn't really matter what airline it is. As long as I get from A to B in the fastest way possible, that's the route I want to go. And especially for business, like it doesn't really matter which airline it is. Like I always prefer direct flights from Austin anywhere. And what's cool about Austin is that because I'm in the middle of the country, if I have to go to LA, Miami, New York, or whatever, I'm never more than three hours away. Like, that's really convenient being here in Texas. Um, And like I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, my rule is if my flight is less than three hours, I'm fine with flying coach or economy. It's just like, you know, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast, read a book or something, and by the time I'm done, we're there. Totally fine. My body's not aching, you know? Maybe ask me again in five years when I'm older. Maybe <laughs> I'll change my opinion. Be like, ah, but um, for now, at least, like less than three hours, totally fine. More than three hours, you know, I I would definitely upgrade to business and and pay for that. Uh, so being in Austin is very convenient in that sense, and it doesn't really matter what airline, whether that's JetBlue, Southwest, American, like the service for three hours, I'm okay with that. You know, but if I'm going like 12 hours or something, then I'm really picky. And Nicole knows this as well. Like I prefer Asian airlines most over any other airline. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> For somebody who started Asian efficiency. 
Um, just because Asian airlines, usually the service on board is the best, I find. The food is usually a little bit better. And uh, especially if you fly a premium class like business or first, the, ex- the whole experience is just better. Like the lounges are usually nicer. Um, just the whole experience is a little bit nicer than say, you know, Delta or American or whatever. Um, so my preference is always any US air or Asian airline. And my favorite so far is, has been Singapore. So like Singapore, then Cathay, and then I would say, I think A&A. But I'm curious to hear, what is your favorite airline so far or flight that you've ever had where you were like, whoa, like I'm taking pictures of everything. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yes, I mean, I've flown pretty much any anything from Europe to, to the US, like British and Lufthansa and basically everybody that flies. Uh, don't get me started on British because British business class is probably the worst thing in the world. But I'll, I'll get to that story in a sec. Oh yeah, that's, uh, it's not, I mean, it's it's not that bad. I mean, if you've ever flown, so there was this one flight and I'm not sure. So I'm flying back from Dallas to Frankfurt directly with American. I'm going to see if that's still the case. But there's this flight from Frankfurt to Dallas and back. There used to be this old, I forgot even what which plane it was, like seven, I'm not even sure if it's 747. It was, it was this old plane that still isn't existent. They didn't even have in-flight seat entertainment for economy. Uh, and this is, it was just the horror um, for for everything, so that would be my worst flight ever, which I paid in full, and it was like, why did they do this? <laughs> Thanks, American. Um, so my best flight so far has been with China Airlines um, from Frankfurt to Taipei. It was basically the most amazing experience. Like they basically greeted me right at the gate, essentially got me into the plane. They had a specific um, flight attendant that that knew exactly what I wanted uh, to do. She basically wrote down everything I. I wanted to drink during the flight. She explained the menu in detail with everything that needed explanations. And um, also during the flight, this was like the most attentive one. And the plane was almost brand new. The entertainment was great. Everything was pretty much almost perfect. Um, so I could definitely recommend that one. And when I had to rebook my flight, oh, this was even the best one. I call, I had to call them really quick before um, because I wanted to extend my travel in China for like a week. So I called them the day before the flight. And they already knew my name. They knew exactly what I wanted, which is kind of creepy, but also kind of convenient. And they were, yeah, sure, no problem. We accept this for a week, done. And this was basically it. Um, the easiest, most convenient experience ever. And they also, um, they are also, I think, part of Sky Team. So when I usually get points on Delta, which I'm like, just like platinum or something. And um, I could also gather the points from them. And I guess this 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 experience was pretty much amazing. So I can definitely agree that Asian airlines seem to be a way seem to be raising the bar on the on almost anything. What is your take on lounges? Is it worth it? Not worth it? Like, I mean, if you're ready, I mean, depends. I guess um, what American airlines not do, they need to they get you basically to purchase. If you're just flying in not internationally, they basically get you purchase like a lounge access. A subscription thing which i don't know i never i did never purchase it and i probably won't ever do that because it's really um there are a few nice ones that just when i flew here i flew over chicago and the new flagship launch for american but i can only talk about the ones that has the highest elite tier but those are actually really freaking nice and well done and brand new basically and also not that crowded so that was a very nice one um, besides that, lounges are kind of, I guess, for the most part, 
not overrated, but when I fly from Frankfurt, I need to get to the plane. I mean, it's cool to stay in a lounge for a bit, but it's also, I could have also just left an hour later. It's not that important anymore. I mean, it's sometimes cool to, to have a place to sit if everything else is crowded and sometimes helps if you have like a problem with a flight and can talk to them. Um, but besides that, and also if you like changing changing flights, but even then still, nah, I mean, paying for them is usually not not really worth it in my opinion anymore. It's, there are a few nice ones like the British Airways first in, um, in Heathrow. That is actually pretty nice. They have like specific food and other things. And the same is true of um, the one in Heathrow in, um, where American flies out of. But then again, um, the lounge is nice and the first class lounge is even nicer. But um, when you go to the terminal, it's absolutely, um, they fly out of the basement basically in Heathrow where, where like 500 people standing in basically your apartment. That's how big the place is. It's, uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, so before I got into lounges, I used to think, oh man, th this is the most amazing thing in the world. And oh, yeah, when right. I was traveling, I was always jealous of people who were g getting into lounges. And then the more I started traveling, the more I started to devalue what lounges really did. So if you're listening, if you've never been to a lounge, like I can tell you right now, you're not missing out on that much. I think if you're efficient when it comes to getting to the airport traveling and stuff like that like you won't need a lounge that much and the only time i would really pay for a lounge if is if you have a really long layover right so let's say you don't have access to a lounge through uh, your airline status or some sort of credit card status and let's say you have a four or five hour layover i think you know it might be worth it to pay for a lounge access like 30 to 50 bucks to get into it and if you um if you use this app called Lounge Buddy, you can actually find all the lounges in the airport you're at. So that's a cool app that you can use. So I would only recommend it if you have a really long layover. So whether that's domestic or international, I think you know once you get over three hours of a layover, I think it might be worthwhile to get one, especially internationally. Um, you know, sometimes you know when you try to find the cheapest flight, sometimes you might have a layover for like twelve to eighteen hours. And then at that point, I would almost consider, especially if it's overnight, definitely get a hotel, like just sleep there because like staying at a lounge or at the airport overnight is just not a good idea. No. I mean, there's some, let me think, I had this ridiculous layover that, so I had to fly to China and it was Frankfurt to Taipei and then Taipei to Guangzhou. And they put me on this flight that was an eight hour layover. And it was basically, I was arriving in the morning and I couldn't sleep on the flight. So I had to sleep for a few hours or basically rest a bit because then when I get to Guangzhou, it was already like evening. And uh, this whole thing was totally, yeah, it was pretty exhausting. But then I got this this nice, so this lunch for China Airlines in um, in Taipei is pretty much one of the, the coolest lounges you can get to. It's really, it's 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 totally new. It's very nice. It's clean. They have showers there. I used it's it's that was actually pretty nice. But the weird thing they have is they have also have like kind of a sleeping cabin. So you basically have like a, a small couch you can lie on, and um, or lay on. And um, the weird thing about this is they also have a speaker system that that not only plays way too loud music. No, they only have an amazing announcement system in there. So basically, I lay down. I wanted to sleep. You cannot turn off the light too. And uh, which is pretty convenient. Um, so I was basically trying to sleep in that room for like a few hours. And then every time I tried sleeping, they had an announcement to make that was way too loud and aggressive. 
in Chinese. So if you're a woman asleep in an airport, don't don't try ever do it in Taipei. However, there's um there's like kind of an airport hotel in Taipei too. So you can basically rent a room for like eight hours or so for like a hundred dollars. Um, which I should have done in retrospect, but eventually I got to the lounge instead. But there's also, if you want to lay over and have to sleep, they actually have full, not kind of hotel rooms, but kind of a hotel room that you can book right when you are there, essentially, and, and basically sleep, um, which probably makes sense for some people. I've like seen the, a lot more airports do that. There's one in uh, in Amsterdam, Schiphol Airport, that has that now as yeah. well. And you can rent stuff by the hour there, which is pretty cool. It makes complete sense. There's so many people who need something like that and who are willing to pay for that. Um, and if you can rent it out by the hour, like I think as a business owner of something like that, you would make a lot of money. So I'm surprised not more airports are doing it. Now, before we get into some of the travel gear that I'm really interested in hearing from you, if you had to rank your favorite airports in the world in terms of you know design, you know how, how nice it is or convenience, like what are your, let's say, top three airports in the world? Hmm. So in terms of efficiency, Frankfurt would probably be my number one because it's really, if you ask anybody, usually Frankfurt in terms of the, the lines, especially for security, is, especially on a Saturday, it's like zero wait for everything. You have to wait absolutely no time anywhere. It's it's pretty amazing. So that would be number one. I think number two is Oslo. Oslo really looks pretty amazing. The security is, is freaking fast and um, everything else is kind of... Um, so I really don't rank my airports by um, design because it doesn't really mean anything to me if I have to wait there for five hours or get there seven hours early like in LAX um, because everybody's crazy and nothing actually works. So I'll, I'll give you my top three, which is going to be different. So mine, first one would say probably Hong Kong. And the reason I say Hong Kong is one, it's very efficient and you can take the, the train whatever that is called over there and immediately get to the, the gate right there. Um, the, the other thing is if you're in Hong Kong, what you can do is you can check your luggage in, in the inner city of Hong Kong and it will actually transport right to the airport. So you, don't, you know how sometimes when you check out from a hotel, let's say at 11 o'clock in the morning, but your flight is not until six o'clock, you know, oftentimes what you'll do is you'll you'll put your luggage at the hotel, you know, and they'll stow it away and then you come pick it up later. But what you can do in Hong Kong is take your luggage, go to this like little station that they have a bunch of in the city and then it will basically check you in and then you'd shove it in there and it will take it to the airport. And I have never seen that anywhere else in the world. And that that's is so amazing. Cool. That's pretty nice. So efficient. So that's one of the reasons I would say Hong Kong I would say number two is Singapore, not because necessarily the efficiency, but the design is so nice and the shopping there is really nice. Like there's a lot of plants and trees and stuff like that they have there. Um, so I would say Singapore number two. And then hmm, third, that's a tough one. Oslo is pretty nice. Um, what's that airline? S, S something that they fly? Yeah. SAS, yeah. Their business class I really like. Because uh, they have the massage chair, <laughs> 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 yeah, which I right. really like, and that's cool. Um, yeah, third one is a tough one, but let's flip it on the other side then and say, what is maybe a list of your least favorite airports? JFK. JFK. Yeah, straight away. Way. It's like the it's like absolute. It's like way too. It's. it's I'm gonna so go with Chicago. I do not like Chicago. Oh, really? I was just in Chicago and it was totally fine. I mean, for, especially because I usually go to JFK for immigration. 
Uh, when I go to JFK for immigration, it's absolutely mind-blowing how long the lines are. Like you have to wait sometimes two hours in JFK to even go to immigration from, from people coming all over the world and nothing ever works. And then you basically stand in line for two hours. Unless that's actually a special trick. If you fly with, for example, if you fly with British into JFK, um, you don't have to stand in line for anything. Basically, they have a special host that takes you off the plane and gets you right in front of a different um, immigration officer. So you don't actually, even if the line is two hours, your wait in line will be zero, depending on how long the other first class passengers take. But that's actually kind of a benefit of flying that. Um, but besides that, JFK is horrible for immigrating. The reason I say Chicago is every time I go there, it's just a man. <laughs> like the lounges aren't nice. Uh, so especially if you fly domestically, it's it's just not impressive whatsoever. The the crowd is just crazy over there, and when you stand in line for your flight, it just overflows to the main hallway of when you walk around. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's totally not. It's just like if one flight gets missed, it's just it's a crazy show over there. So I would avoid that. Right, so and, Chicago is the number one. <laughs> Chicago is number one, and number two I would say is Phoenix. What? Yeah. So the reason I don't like Phoenix is because anytime I have a connecting flight in Phoenix, it's always delayed. Like I literally had in one year, like five flights through Phoenix and five times in a row, it, all my connecting flights got delayed. So I would either miss my connecting flight or my flight that I was supposed to catch would be delayed by a couple hours. So I kind of ridden the off that airport like that is just no bueno for me anymore so sometimes i would fly to see my parents uh through phoenix and i would land in orange county where they live um and i would be able to fly directly through phoenix and there and then they and then i was like no i'm gonna fly to long beach now which is a little bit further away but at least i can skip phoenix and it's a direct flight as well because that airport is just no good luck to me my third i'm not a big fan of heathrow like Terminal 5 international shopping is really nice. But when it comes to just... You and your shopping. I mean, I love to shop, as you know. <laughs> I like to buy my stuff. But yeah, like it's just not a very efficient airport. Like when you buy... St- like one of the advantages of living here is when you buy stuff in London, you can get the VAT refund, right? So you save essentially like 20% of retail price, which is kind of nice. So when you collect your stuff and you have to go through the airport and you want to get your refund, that's a whole big process that takes forever. It's just really inefficient compared to, let's say Dubai. It's really efficient there. So I don't like Heathrow for that reason. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the other airport that you hate then. (laughs) Yeah. Miami. (laughs) Miami is like the, one of the worst, if not the worst airport ever, like nothing ever works. Lines are absolutely crazy. Nobody speaks English, which is hard for me because I really only speak German and English. And it's um it's just never and if you like basically have to go from international to basically just pick up your car, you have to ride these weird these weird I don't know, walk endless hallways basically, um forever and ever. Yeah, it just doesn't really it's so inefficient in any any step of the way. Like to get even get to the check-in text forever, then you have to walk back from all the way from the check-in. Um, to the security, which is always ridiculously crowded and people not knowing what they're doing. I mean, I get it. People fly there a lot for like seeing family and flying to South America, but I try to avoid it as much as I can. For example, Orlando is way nicer and um, 
basically all other airports there too like um tampa is nicer um, west palm beach works too it's just that this one airport miami just really kills me every single time because every time i'm there everything takes for freaking ever with no reason at all just I like Miami, but mostly because the city is fun, not the airport. <laughs> yeah, the city is maybe nice, but the airport is yeah could use some work too. And I used to have a friend who lived there, so I, I was there quite a bit. And the only advantage of going to Miami from Austin is is that there's one direct flight, and I would always take it. But the downside was it was always at six a.m., so I would always wake up early to go there. Uh, but Ben, one of the things I want to dive into because this is something that's very close to my heart is uh, travel gear and and techie stuff because you and I both love our tech stuff. Uh, and I'm an efficient packer, at least in my own opinion, but I'm curious to hear like, how do you prepare for your travels and what, what are some of the tech stuff that you use to make your life a little easier and more efficient? Yeah. So one of the things I'm definitely going to use is, um, is, um, a nice, a nice adapter for basically getting everything in every, every country in the world, to work right that's like uh so you have like one of those big adapters that yeah, yeah transforms. I've, I've actually have like a different one that most people have it's like um it's like a travel i think it's called travel cube we probably can put that link in later but it's like called travel cube it's basically like a like a square cube with like four outlets um in one and then has an adapter that you can put in um any kind of like world charger on it it's actually pretty pretty amazing um and the build quality is nice so i used this for like years and it never disappointed so i use that for like if i need multiple outlets for that and um one thing i really like is um is my um my power banks because everything is always empty um every single time and there's always no charger when i need them so I have like two power banks. One is pretty large. There's like 10,000 milliamp hours, but there's also one that basically is, is the size of a credit card and it's actually that shape. So I can just put it in my pocket and it charges the phone like to 30%. Oh yeah, and for those chargers, I actually have like a special cable that um, that is basically reversible. So you can use it to charge um, to charge your lightning. Um, so your, so your um, iPhone, but you can also use it and, and basically twist it and then it's... Um, it's a normal USB charger, like a USB, what's it called? The small USB charger? Yeah, the micro USB. Oh, yeah, the micro USB. Yeah, so you can basically charge the power bank with it, and it's basically USB to that. So it's um, so you only actually need one cable that's actually pretty small and efficient, so you don't have to carry 500 cables every single time, which I really do not like. That's um, the one cool thing I took away when I saw your travel setup oh, in Madrid. The one, tool thing? the one cool thing? <laughs> I'm disappointed. Because... You know, sometimes I'll bring my Kindle, which is a micro USB output. And then obviously I always have my iPhone and stuff with me. So I would, I would bring multiple cables, but then I saw you had one cable that had basically those two outputs, like the micro USB and the lightning. And I was like, oh, that is so genius. And then straight away, I got one on Amazon and shipped it to my home. And when I got back, it was waiting there for me because I needed to have that cable because I know I'm going to use it all the time. So I thought it was gold. Yeah, that's definitely one of the... The things I absolutely need, and um, and yeah, I guess the other thing is um, having multiple SIM cards for different countries set up already, which usually uh, eases my travel quite a bit. So I have a US SIM card, I have a Dubai SIM card, I have like a Hong Kong SIM card, and I have a German SIM card. So I can just switch and flip them while I'm on the plane, getting to the destination, and that's actually really convenient um, because usually nowadays you don't actually need the actual phone number anymore. Nobody calls you on your phone. It's usually like. So you can set up like an office number, then reroutes to your whatever number you currently have, or you can set up 
just voice over IP or when people use WhatsApp or WeChat or whatever they use, it usually is not determined by the phone number you currently use, but the ones you originally set it up for. So I never have to change that number on my WhatsApp and people still can reach and call me. And the same is true for iMessage. So I usually use my email address instead of my um, instead of my number. So people usually just use that no matter where I'm at. So there's really no need for an actual phone number anymore unless my mom wants to call me, but I try to learn here how to use WhatsApp. So... Yeah, WhatsApp too. is a, I, I find it a game changer for so many ways. Like the stuff that you mentioned, there's just no need for an international phone number or to, to give your new number every single time. Because like you said, you can have those numbers that auto forward and stuff like that. And it just makes life so much easier. And especially with iMessage, like you said, an email address is just good enough. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's usually what I use. Um, the other thing is that um, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely need a, a droppable iPhone case, which I use the Ultra Armor or the, no, the Urban Armor Gear one, um, because I always drop my phone every single time. And this is the only case that ever protected my phone for years and years and years. And I used this since the iPhone four. No, none of my phones have actually been ever broken, so I really prefer that. Although I know you really do prefer your Louis, but maybe they eventually set up a cooperation between those two. Although I doubt it. I like um, my Louis case. Yeah, you definitely love your Louis case. And um, the other thing is like a, a screen protector that if, if like I had my my phone stuck between my seat, um, like basically my airline seat, and then I accidentally didn't notice, and then I basically um, moved my airline seat, so my screen cracked. But the good thing is I had those, the screen protectors, it was only my screen protector being cracked, like basically totally done. And my, and my Urban Armor case was done too, but my phone was still brand new. So, um, so for that reason, I was really, um, yeah, yeah. Was really even when of, you have a phone case, I think it's still valuable to have a screen protector. Like I have, you know, uh, a phone case as well and I still have a screen protector and I still have a huge scratch on there. I have no idea how that happened, but I'm glad I have the screen protector because I could take it off and my phone is like brand new. So yeah. And totally. if you spend like a thousand dollars on your phone nowadays, which almost every brand is, if you take a flagship Android or an iPhone, you really <laughs> you really should be able to protect that that phone. And um what else? Oh yeah, the one I mentioned right in the beginning, the other thing that's really important is my um my privacy screen. Because man, the amount so my when I when I have a short flight, like three hours in the US and I'm and I'm getting upgraded to first and I'm sit there and usually you can look between two seats. So I'm always sitting like in the last row, like the, never in the first row because the first row is in the leg room. But when I sit in the last row, the guy before me is usually like an important business person, which I, which I assume at least. And um, so usually most of people usually use their laptop to type up, um, type up their emails or look at like charts or like analytic, analytics or like do Excel stuff. So over the flight, I usually try to figure out who that person is and reverse engineer what they're writing and then try to figure out their email signature and then basically finding them on LinkedIn or sending them an email right away. Um, because <laughs> because I've met so many people that they're in somewhat of an, um, basically anybody that runs a business um, should be protective of their data. And um, I've met so many people now that that have no privacy screen and people can basically read anything. Right. So just to clarify for people who are not aware what a privacy screen is, it's like a layer you put on your laptop so that people can't look at your screen from a certain angle, right? So if you sit in front of your laptop, everything looks normal. But if you turn 45 degrees and you try to look at your screen, you can't really read what's on the screen, right? So 
you've probably seen it in like movies or FBI agents having one, but what Ben is saying, there's actually a lot of value in having on yourselves, especially if you value your own privacy, which I think a lot of people do nowadays. Yeah, and there's really no need that your neighbor next to you has to read your conversations or whatever that might be. Or let's say there's actually a competitor sitting right next to you and you're reading full of those papers that you're currently writing on the new technology. Why would you ever share that with somebody else uh, that has no business of being into that? So it's, um, yeah, so I guess that that is actually kind of an important thing to have. And even if it's just casual conversation with friends, it's still, it's like, I don't know how much, like $45 to screen or something from 3M. So it's it's really not that huge of investment and has a huge benefit. And actually, every corporation should should include that in their in their basic travel gear. Like whenever you go for a laptop, you should essentially force every employee to have those screens because that's what we do nowadays. Because it's really it's totally stupid to not have that because you never know who's going to sit next behind or basically anywhere. Yeah, we're going to have links to all of these things that are mentioned here in the show notes, including the bag that we mentioned in the beginning and every single gadget and tool. So don't worry if you miss something. Just go to theproductivityshow.com, find this episode, and we'll make sure to give you all the links so you can download everything and buy everything you need and want. All right, Ben, I know you and I can talk about this forever, forever, and forever because there's so much more to cover, but maybe we should get you back for another episode because I know there's much more to share and much more techie stuff that we can give away. But I want to thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate all the insights, and I thought that was really fun to share some stories, both from you and me, to the Asian Efficiency listeners here. I want to thank Ben for coming on to the show and sharing his wisdom. If you found this useful, then you're going to love the dojo, our private training library with the biggest productivity community around. We have multiple training courses on how to stay productive while you're traveling. And we have one really cool course on travel hacking. You've already heard some of the strategies and inside the dojo, we go into more detail with actionable steps, app recommendations, and insider travel tips to make your next trip more convenient and stress-free. As part of the dojo every month, you'll get a new productivity course right in your inbox that will help you free up time and achieve your goals faster. And once you're in the dojo, you also get access to the whole Asian efficiency team and a private forum where all AE employees and other dojo members are sharing what's working for them right now. Now, here's the best part. You can get access to the entire dojo, the community, and the video training library for just $1 for your first month. But this offer is just for podcast listeners. So if you want to take advantage of this special offer, you have to go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Again, the URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can also find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 193. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Productive Monday.